If you've got your Bibles, we are going to be in Haggai chapter 1 and three very simple verses, verses 12 to to 15 this morning. I want to set this up by saying this, that um, this story of of Israel and its history is so important to us as as Israel as God's people learned to journey in relationship with God through the various different highs and lows. There's so much that we can glean and understand from their journey as we understand the relationship that we have with God today. And I want to talk specifically this morning about the power of your yes, that there is a concept and a, a context of obedience that we as followers of Jesus get to jump into that really is not just about simply when we said yes to Jesus, but is about every subsequent yes that we give to God as we learn to walk with him and to understand and to take hold of and importantly to walk in obedience over the things that he's calling us and asking of us individually and also corporately as the church. So that's really the context of what I want to dive into that really frames these three simple verses. So let's read them together. Chapter 1 verse 12. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest, with all of the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Verse 13, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. One of the things we've already touched on in this series is the the remarkable context of this prophetic book. Haggai was a prophet that spoke to the people of Israel. And the beautiful thing for Haggai is, is that the word he brought to Israel, the direction that he brought from God, unlike many of the other prophets, was, was a directive voice and a word that Haggai got to give to Israel. And then he got to saw the, see the outworking of that word. He, get, he got to see the completion, the fruit, the fullness of what he had challenged um, uh, Israel over. Over and he got to see the building of the temple. It's unlike quite a lot of the other prophets that, that didn't actually see in their lifetime uh, the substance of the word that he brought. So it's a beautiful thing. And, um, and we know that um, these words came to Israel between August and December of uh, 520 BC. And five years subsequent to that, in 515 BC, we see their, uh, Israel's response to this word um, and we see the rebuilding of the temple. And it's important to know that even in this period of history of Israel, they, they, still, um, they still had opposition. There was still a challenge to, like they'd experienced in much of their history, there was a challenge to, to them as a nation and the things that they were doing and the things that they were called to. And uh, this season of time was, was no exception. And we'll look at some of that this morning. But as we zero in on these few verses um, today, the big message of these three simple verses is actually profoundly simple. And it's this. That amazing things can be accomplished when we hear and obey the word of the Lord. That incredible, substantial, history-impacting things can occur in and through our obedience and our yes as we put our hands to some of the things that God is calling us to do. That's what Israel found. 
You know, the, this wasn't a project of, of redecorating the temple. When they returned to Jerusalem, they found the temple decimated. This was a major rebuilding project. And for Israel, the word of the Lord came for them to start to begin to rebuild. And they had to, and as we've seen in these verses, they had to walk in obedience to that word. And it wasn't simply just, oh, you know, slap a bit of paint around the place. They had returned to Israel and, and um, the temple was in decimation. So they were, they were starting on a major rebuilding project. And remember, this is the big story of the overarching story in Haggai. God does have a master rebuilding plan for Israel. And for Israel, it was the, the master rebuilding plan of rebuilding the temple. He was fully committed to this plan of restoring his temple. And Israel had to partner with his plan to see that plan brought about. They had to be obedient to play their part. And as we reflect really on, on what is a very simple concept for us this morning, it reminds me really of the, the incredible master plan that God has for us here and now. As I look out into our city, there is a master plan that God has to impact and transform lives, to redeem culture, to restore creation, to heal and restore and bring people back into a right relationship with God. God has a master plan. And, and what echoes in my, the story of Israel here is, is that as much as, as God had a master plan for the rebuilding of the temple, he has a master plan to establish and bring the reality of his kingdom here on earth. That's what we've been singing about this morning. That's actually what we've been declaring over our lives, over situations, over the city, that, that there is a plan that God has to restore, to bring the reality of the kingdom of heaven and, and, and make it a reality here on earth. And the beautiful thing about this plan is the same as it was for, the, for, the, for Israel, is that he has entrusted that plan to, to you and I. There's a part for us to play we have to remind ourselves that this rebuilding has been entrusted to us. That obedience is to this plan is the same for us as it was for Israel. The same that we've, we've seen in terms of Israel's response to obeying and rebuilding the temple. There's a response to, to, in our obedience to the great plan of restoring and rebuilding and bringing the reality of the kingdom of heaven in whatever situation you find yourselves. That might be restoring a relationship um, to God with your neighbor, with your colleague, with the person you're on the bus with tomorrow. God's great redemptive plan requires and is entrusted to you. You and I, we get to play our part. God is fully committed to restoring and redeeming all of creation, all of humanity, but he's entrusted it into our hands. And he's asking for our partnership. He's asking and looking for our response of the yes of our lives in the same way that he was looking for the yes and obedience of Israel. So here you have Haggai's word to Israel to start to rebuild. And you see their obedient response to God. You see the, the yes of, the, of their lives, of the leaders, of the prophets, of the remnants of the people. You see the yes of their obedience. And it had something of substance to it. And I want to talk about some of the substance in a few minutes. But there's some stuff I think we can learn from these verses that help us understand what, what lies beyond our yes. 
That there's something that we can discover, actually, that Israel discovered, that in their moment of obedience, of hearing the word of the Lord and partnering with that, that beyond their yes, there was, some, there was a reality that they experienced that was a significant part of this partnership between what God wanted to do and what Israel was being asked to do. And I want to look at some of that today. So on the other side of our yes is the power for three things. On the other side of our yes to God's word is the power to empower us, to enable us, and to encourage us. And I want to look at those three things simply today. If we look at Israel, and in these verses, you look at verse 12. Israel gave a response to the prophetic word to the nation to rebuild. Israel gave a response, and that response was their obedience. You see it in verse 12. And they respond to God with the yes of their lives. And what followed that... What followed that yes was what we see in verse 14. And that is that beyond their yes, there was an empowerment that God empowers us. So verse 14 says, And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnants of the people. Listen, there was a a stirring up. God Beyond the response of, of, of their obedience to God, God came and beyond the yes of their lives came this, came this empowering where God stirred them up. He strengthened them in, in and through their obedience. In our obedience to God's words, we have to remember that it's always a partnership. But the partnership starts with what's my response going to be? What's the response of my life going to be when God asks or requires something of me? Is it going to be to walk in obedience? Because if it is, what we find on the other side of that, of that obedience is a stirring of the Spirit to achieve that which God has already instructed us to do. This is the encouragement that Israel found. In the moment of their obedience, they found themselves being stirred and strengthened. I think about, in my own life, over years of this church, we go out on a Friday night and we, um, we feed uh, the homeless on the street. We give out food and clothes and we, and we just spend time praying for and talking to the guys on the streets on a Friday night. And I, every time I go out, uh, you know, the, the, the hours leading up, I'm thinking, I really don't want to do this. I've got no sort of motivation. I feel like, you know, I feel a little nervous, apprehensive. I'm lacking in motivation. I'm just being honest with you. This is how I feel before Friday. And then I get out there on a Friday night. And you get on the, on the streets with people. And you sit down and you talk to these people who've got rich stories of what's happened in life. And you get to show God's love in a practical way. And quite honestly, every time I've gone out, I've felt like I don't want to do it. And every time I'm out, I feel strengthened and encouraged. Like I feel like I engage with these people that that at one level I have nothing in common with, but then you begin to talk and you begin to pray and offer love and encouragement to these people and something stirs because it's being obedient to God's word. It's being obedient to the call of God to love the least. Like this is the reality that that beyond our obedience, often, you know, leading up to that yes or or stepping out or or obedience towards what God's asked us to do, leading up to that, there can be a lack of motivation, a sense of fear or anxiety. But but moving through that into the yes of how we respond is a strength that comes. That we're strengthened, that we're encouraged, that that actually that God stirs us. 
Remember, it's this beautiful partnership, and that's what obedience, that's what we find on the other side of our yes, on the other side of our obedience is this, we meet God, and he stirs us towards that which he's called us to. The second thing that we experience beyond our yes is that God enables us. That we're empowered, first of all, but then God enables us. I love this story of Israel, and you actually have to dive back into Ezra, chapter 5 and 6. And, and we'll throw these chapters up on, on the screen, and you can read them. But I encourage you to dive back into Ezra 5 and 6, because they, they paint a much broader narrative of what was going on at the time as Israel, as Israel was stepping out in their obedience and saying yes to rebuild the temple. What we find out from Ezra 5 is that there was a Persian governor, uh, Tatanai, and, and what happened was that that governor came at the point when Israel started to rebuild and he challenged them rebuilding. So he found, he found a group of people rebuilding the temple and he said, who's ordered you to rebuild this temple? Like, what's going on here? Why are you rebuilding the temple? And this wasn't just some random, this was a, a governor, some, uh, some element had authority in the land. And we find out he asks a second question. He says, right, who's involved here? I want the names of the people. And this was a challenge to Israel. This was, this was Israel being challenged. And it wasn't just a, hey, I'm just curious about what was going on. Israel were under threat of being imprisoned or perhaps even being killed for what they were doing. And actually, the, the governor of, of, of Persia, who was, who was asking these questions, was asking these questions so he could send a report back to the king, Darius. So here's what you've got to understand, that, that right in the midst of this, you see that Israel is finding that they, he, they are being confronted, they're being challenged over the rebuilding. Even in the midst of their obedience, they, um, they're being challenged, but they keep going. You read it in the scripture that, that they kept going, they kept persisting, they kept building, even until a report was sent to Darius and they would hear back. There was a kind of tenacity and a dedication to continue through this challenge, even for fear of their own lives. And I love that because it, it helps us understand, and in a moment I'll tell you why it's so supernaturally amazing when God enables us, but I love the tenacity of Israel. Like God had spoken, he'd given them a word. And they'd partnered with that word and they'd said yes and they'd been obedient. And the other side of that yes, they were tenacious to keep hold of it. They didn't get challenged and go, do you know what? We should, we should probably, for fear of our lives, we should probably park what we're doing, put down the spades, put down the bricks. We'll put everything on pause because we could end up in prison here. No, they kept going. They kept building because they had a confidence because the Lord had spoken. And what's amazing is you, as you read in Ezra chapter 6 is that there's a whole list of, what, of the letter that gets sent back from the king, Darius. So this report goes off to the king and Darius writes back and he, Darius had looked into the situation and he'd reminded himself actually that, that, that it wasn't even just the case that they could be like permitted to build the temple, but there was, there was, a, there was a historical covenant and a, and a historical promise to resource Israel in the building of rebuilding of the temple. So you read like a, a whole list of Darius's response back, which is let them alone, let them build. In fact, more than that, give them everything that they need, any resource that they need, give it to them. Like this is the amazing thing beyond the yes that Israel gave to God in their moment of obedience, in their moment of contending for that word when there was challenge, they found on the other side of that incredible provision that enabled them to do the very thing that God had called them to do. And how so in our own lives, you know, how many of us, when we, when we have a sense of what God's asked, that we were confronted with a level of challenge or opposition or something that holds us back and we're like, oh, I'm just going to hit pause on that thing. 
for fear of my unreputation, fear of, of being embarrassed, fear of, of, of doing something that might be socially unacceptable. I'll just press pause on that thing. Even though I know God said this, I know he's asking of this, require, I'm going to hit pause. Now, Israel invites us into a radical journey of dependence on God in which and through which we find out that God enables us. So our, our obedience, the yes of our lives, opens us out into a territory where we find that God enables us. I encourage you, go back to Ezra 5 and 6 and just look at the, the glorious way that, that God provides even in the most unexpected places through a king, of a, an ungodly king, to resource and strengthen and enable. God did it. He moved incredibly beyond the response of obedience and yes that Israel gave. And God is partnering with us in his ever-unfolding plan in our city and in our friendships and in our workplaces. And our obedience to him unlocks the door to provision. Like, let me just tell you, if you're, if you're at some level, you're holding, holding on to the reality of God's word for you and, and re- holding on to the reality of, of knowing that God wants to, to seek and to save those who are lost around you, your friends, your neighbors. If you're holding on to a word from the Lord and you're waiting for provision before you step out and see um, that word come to pass, let me tell you that I think that there is provision on the other side of our yes. There's provision on the other side of our obedience to step out and start. Like, and that takes risk and faith, but that's, that's who we are. We're people of risk and faith. That actually in anything that God's calling us to do, we can move through that with the yes of our life, be confident of who God is. And over the other side of it, we can see how God just opens up provision and moves on our behalf and supernaturally sees people healed, set free, restored. And he'll do it in front of our eyes in miraculous ways. Not one of you agree with me. All right, you can talk back to me. It's all right, it's only church. So on the other side of our yes is that God encourages us as well. This is what Israel found, that that not only did God empower them through their yes, not only did God enable them through their yes, But God brought this incredible ingredient to to their life and their experience, which was courage. And they needed it, as we've just said. But remember, after verse 12, their response was, uh, their response to this word from Haggai about rebuilding the temple was obedience. And then Haggai brings this, this word to them right off the back of their obedience. And this is what he says. And Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you declares the Lord. I am with you. This is one of the most important elements which um, we're to find in this journey of walking in obedience and trusting God is that there is the ingredients of I am with you. Like for Israel, this would have been a beautiful sound to their ears. Because in, in their history, as, the, as those leaders of Israel would have heard this word come from, they would have been reminded of every situation and every season in their history when they'd been confronted with trial or challenge, when God had spoken and said, I am with you. This is what they found. Every time there was something significant, every time something happened in their nation's history, this word would come. Every time there was an impending doom or impending challenge, impending tragedy, this word would come again, I am with you. And it was the powerful ingredient of courage that gave them a commitment to not just, not just, um, not just be obedient, but live and continually work out that obedience because I am with you. 
So beyond the yes of Israel was this promise that God was with them. It was the, it was the assurance that they needed. It was the peace that they needed. It was the, the confidence that they needed. All of Israel's hopes and dreams and promises that God had given them were all wrapped up in a God who was with them. And it's the same for us today. Listen, there's echoes in, the, in these verses of what we find when, when Jesus comes and he commissions us, when he brings and tells us what our life will look like and our defining assignment and call. There's echoes of it. Listen to it in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. Listen, there's an assignment of a calling that rests on every believer's life. And it's on us to determine how will I respond to this assignment? How will I move forward with this assignment? But right in the very mix of this assignment is our choice to say yes with our life. But right in the very mix is this courage because I am with you. It's beautiful. So there are those three things that we can pick up from these verses. That God, in the midst of our obedience to him, that as we position our lives with a continual yes, that on the other side of that, he will empower us, enable us, and encourage us. And the key for Israel was, was their obedience to God's word. God's empowerment comes as a result of their obedience to that word, as a result of, of now our yes towards God. I want to say this very simple phrase, our yes is our obedience, but our obedience is our love. There's a, a correlation. I want, I want us to grasp this um, this morning because in some way I, I'm not saying that that in some way that our obedience towards what God says in his word or what he said over your life is some sort of robotic response. It's not. It's part of our love relationship with him. Before we look at that, let me remind you, Luke 11 says this, Blessed are those who hear the word and keep it. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So on the other side of our obedience is a blessed life. So would it be right me saying that actually in the whole realms of our uh, potentially our disobedience that over the other side of our disobedience is an unblessed life, right? How many of us are going for the unblessed life? No. There, and, but listen, our obedience isn't some sort of robotic response to God simply for what we can get on the other side of it. Although the reality of a blessed life is what we experience beyond being obedient to God. But let me say this, I believe in the realms of God and his love language is this, the love language of God is obedience. Let me throw some verses at you. John 15, 14 says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. There's an attachment, a relational attachment to our relationship with God that in the mix of that is the reality of our obedience towards him. John 14, verse 15 says, if you love me, You'll keep my commandments. That connected to our ability to really love God, our response to the way that he's loved us, that we would love him, critical to that is our obedience. 2 John verse 6, And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should 
walk in it. There's incredible power in not just saying yes to Jesus and everything he's done on the cross, as amazing and transformational as that is, but actually to continue to walk in the way of love, to walk in the way of connection to relationship with Jesus. That is a way that we submit our lives in obedience to what he's asking of us. James in the Bible, who, who I love because he's just so like forthright and clear. He just says it how it is. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Like there's, there's something we have to grasp that is, that is our love relationship with God that demands and requires of us a response of obedience. But we have to take our place. This is what, again, we can learn from the story of Israel. Israel learned how to respond in obedience, not just to a concept of rebuilding the temple, but actually walked in, the, in obedience and substance. It looked like something. It looked like picking up a shovel. It looked like grabbing a brick. It looked like putting another brick on top of another brick. And for five years, it looked like a continual journey of yes. It looked like a continual journey of obedience. Listen, for us, it's no good simply saying, well, I've said yes to Jesus. There's something for us to do in living in obedience as we get involved in the very thing that Jesus calls us to. God's great master plan on the earth to bring the reality of the kingdom of heaven and make it real on earth. This is what we give our lives to. This is what we give our yes to. This is what we have to be obedient to. But we build in and through obedience It looks like something of substance. It looks like a brick that we put into the concept and construction of our lives. Could it be that actually actually we build into the fabric of this building that we love God and we love people? Could that be that what we lay in a foundational wall of our lives as we point ourselves towards our city and our friends? Could it be that there's some substance to us diving into God's word and building with the substance of who he said he is and what he's called us to do? Could that sit in the foundation of what we're building in our lives? Could our obedience also look like helping those in need? Could it be that we find in Scripture God's heart for the poor in such a way that we are moved in an obedience in our love for him that we love the least? Could that be what we put in the foundations of our wall as we point ourselves towards this city? Could it be that actually the, the fabric of who we are is built around being a generous people? Could that sit in the foundation of the wall we're building, of the structure of the kingdom of heaven that we're building? Could it be that actually we respond in obedience to, to sharing the gospel? Sharing the gospel has some substance. No one will hear and know and see who Jesus is without you. So could that be in the substance of what we build into our lives? And in all these things, this is not an exhaustive list, in all of these things, are we people who will take hold of the the substance of the kingdom of heaven? Could it look like something, a, a brick, a foundation, something of substance that we build into how we say yes on a daily, on a daily basis, in every season, Could it be that we, these and many more things form the substance of our yes towards Jesus? The greatest yes that we can ever give is the yes that we give to Jesus. But following that is a lifestyle of yes and obedience to him. 
and his word and what he calls us to do individually and corporately. You know, there is a beautiful plan unfolding on the face of the earth and he's entrusted that plan to you and I to make known the reality of the kingdom of heaven, to bring people back into a relationship with Jesus. He's entrusted this plan to us. It's what we're called to to build and not just say yes to a concept, but to, to go form some bricks of substance, to start to build it into the fabric of our lives and the fabric of our city. That's how we say yes, that we would see the kingdom of heaven here on earth, in our lives I want to finish by, um, by telling you a bit of a story uh, about the mission. Sarah and I just got back last week from Mexico. We got to the privilege of speaking at a, a mission school out there. How many of you remember Jimmy and Gina who came and spoke? They run the orphanage over in Romania. They are uh, involved in the mission, which has three um, bases, Ranchos de Sus Ninos in Mexico, which is where we were speaking, uh, in Romania and Nicaragua. Listen, what I... We had the privilege of going there on their 30th birthday, which was amazing because a significant time over, over two generations of, of, of people who had, had given their yes to God to go and affect uh, the lives of people in Mexico. <clears throat> and I want to tell you this, that, that what we discovered when we went to Mexico wasn't just a, a mission school with, with 100 or so um, students learning about missions, wasn't just hundreds of, of orphans who had found family in the context of the, of, the, um, of the orphanage that they've built. We found a history and a narrative of people saying yes to Jesus. Listen, when I, when I heard the story of, of Steve um, and Kathy, who is Jimmy and, Jimmy's uh, mom and dad, and Steve said yes with their whole family 30 years ago. And they went down to Mexico on a word from the Lord and they responded with a yes. They moved their whole family down there. And for the first year, Steve would, would drive from San Diego down to Mexico, about an hour's drive. And he promised God they bought a plot of land because God had told them to. Say yes, they bought a plot of land. And for that first year... Um, he said to the Lord, I'm, I'm going to work 12 hours a day on this land. And that didn't include the hour, hour and a half drive either side, and it didn't include his lunch break. So he went down there for a whole year with a yes with his family and a shovel and a pick, and he began to, he began to just dig holes and excavate the land. That's all he did for a year because the Lord had spoken, given him a, given him a word about rescuing and loving orphans in Mexico. And bringing the reality of the kingdom of heaven to Mexico and to Tijuana and to some of the dumps that people would come to know Jesus. They said yes as a family and they went down there with a, with a pick and a shovel and they excavated the land. Now I want to show you a video and it's a video about their missions experience. But what I want it to do is help give you an idea of what 30 years of cons- consistently saying yes to Jesus can do. You can go from a pick and a shovel and you can see something do some you can see God do something glorious through the yeses of your life. So let's watch this video. So I show you that video not because <clears throat> it's a promo for a missions experience but because of this you could see what it what it looks like 30 years on from one family saying yes. And then for thousands of people to say yes to even going down there and putting their hands to a shovel and building on this 10 acres. And again, the, 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 the glory is not in the 10 acres, but the glory is in the over 5,000 kids have been, are no longer orphans, but found family because of what they built. Like that's encouraging. 
quiet this morning. 5,000 kids who, who know, knew nothing of family, who knew abandonment, found Jesus and found family because of one family's decision to say yes, to walk in obedience to the word on their life. And then countless others came. And as you see, the, even the countless tens of thousands of, of, of teenagers and groups that have come down from America, come from across the world to come and put their yes towards Jimmy and Gina's yes, to put their yes towards Kathy and Steve's yes, and to say, you know, we want to build and establish the kingdom of heaven, which looks like family here in Mexico. And the beauty of that for me, really, it reminds me that there's a city out there that desperately needs to know Jesus. There's a city and neighborhoods and, and your neighbors who, who desperately need to know who Jesus is. They desperately need to experience hope and love and peace and joy. All the things that we know are wrapped up in the kingdom of heaven. It's for them to experience. And do you know where they'll experience it? In and through your yes. And this is our challenge. This is what Haggai was challenging Israel to put their hands to, not just saying yes to a concept, but to say, would I pick up the substance of a brick and would I put it on top of another brick and build something that beautifully demonstrated the kingdom of God? For Israel, it was a temple. For us, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the temple of our lives gets to demonstrate the glory of God. But what are we building into the fabric of our lives? Will we say yes? Will we respond? In every day, in every season, and at every time with the yes of our lives. Because beyond it, beyond it, he will empower us. Beyond our yes, he will encourage us. And beyond our yes, he'll enable us to do it all. It's a partnership with heaven and earth. It's a partnership with us as kids and a father who desperately wants them to make his love known throughout the world. So our response, our opportunity this morning is to say yes again. So why don't you stand with me?